we do at this time, will any of our preschoolers that are going to Children's Church here dismissed at this time? Thank you, Brother Shane. Amen. 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 Uh, Jesus died for all on the cross. And so his shed blood is sufficient for my sins and your sins and all of our sins. There must be a faith response to what Jesus has done. And that I must come to the cross and I must surrender my life, confessing my sin and accepting his gift of salvation. And then we trust in Him that His work on the cross is sufficient for my eternity. That it's enough. That it's, it's about what He has done and never about what I have done. And there's that, that Him... There's a resting place. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. And we rest in that, that my salvation is all about what he has done and not about what I have done. I would say to you this morning, if you have never taken that step of faith, uh, today's the day. Jesus died for all. And today is a day that you have an opportunity to respond to that. I remember an old hymn, and Shane, I'm not being passive aggressive. <clears throat> the old chorus we used to sing in the 1970s. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. If you sang that in the 1970s, just say, Amen. Amen. When we shine a light on the cross, we see its glory. And for several weeks we've seen part of the glory of the cross is the love that we find there. Unconditional, unlimited, unselfish. When we shine the light on the cross, we also see that it is a place that we discover peace and reconciliation and redemption. But today, I want us to understand that we also find in the cross forgiveness. Forgiveness. So in the cross, we find love unconditional, unlimited, unselfish. But also in the cross, we find forgiveness for all of our sins. In the Old Testament, actually if you want to look it up, it's in Leviticus chapter 16. It was prescribed by the Old Testament that on the Day of Atonement, 
So once a year, there was a day that God said, this is the day of atonement. And I think next week we'll probably talk about atonement. How do we get in a right relationship with God? I always think of atonement. The, the simple definition for atonement is at one month. How do we get one with God? How are we reconciled to Him? We're going to talk about that next week. But on the Day of Atonement, the Old Testament, you can read about it in Leviticus 16, prescribed that the priest, the high priest, was to take two goats. And I don't know, there's something in there. You cast lots and one of them he does one with and the other one he does something else with. I don't remember exactly how that goes, but they cast lots and he's taking two goats. One of the goats they slay, they kill, they cut its throat. They shed its blood. It was a statement that on the day of Pentecost, on the day of atonement, that there is no remission of sins except through the shed blood. And so one of the goats they would kill, slit its throat, and they would see its blood. I don't remember what happened to the blood. If they anointed, put it on the altar, I don't remember that. But one goat died. I thought it was interesting, though. And that's part of forgiveness, and we're going to talk about that next Sunday, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It, Jesus had to shed his blood. I thought it was interesting. On the day of atonement, there were two goats. And one had its throat slit. But the other goat, I don't remember if it was the one that won the casting of lots or lost it. I don't remember how that went. It's an incredible picture. A priest would take his hands and he would put his hands on the head of that goat and he would he would transfer the sins of God's people he would place those sins on that goat do you know what they would do with the goat then they would take it into the wilderness and let it go and there's a term in the Old Testament that we get a term for today. It was called the scapegoat. It was the goat that the sins of the people were placed on and he was sent away. Two goats. And they both teach us about forgiveness. One that it's going to cost shed blood. And the other thing I think God wanted them to know is that I want you to know your sins are taken away I think the psalmist said as far as the east is from the west the simple message today as we think about the glory of the cross and forgiveness there I want you to know that through the cross our sins are taken away forgiven Jesus paid for them and they're taken away through the cross our sins are taken away. There are several ways that the writers of the New Testament see the cross. And we've seen the view of the cross as a statement of love for the last three weeks. But there is this view of the cross that sees it as forgiveness and part of the forgiveness is a uh, is a legal 
um, picture, metaphor. It sees the cross from a legal perspective. Now, um, I think next week we will look at it from another perspective, which was the sacrificial. There will be an altar. We'll see it from an altar. And in a couple more weeks after that, we'll see it as, as a slave market that God redeems us. But this morning, it's as if the Scripture brings us into a courtroom and said, no, what Jesus did on that cross is a, it was, a, was a legal transaction. And I want you to understand that the way, the way that Jesus took away our sins um, on the cross was that He paid the penalty for our sin as if we owed a debt we could not pay. But He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. It is a legal view of what God does in redemption that it is if we were brought into the courtroom of God and we had violated God's standard and the punishment for our violation, our transgression against the law was death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Somebody was going to have to die. But in that courtroom, when we... Oh, this is very important. When we come to the place where we confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That Jesus is like that defense attorney that not only pleads our case, he's our advocate. But Jesus is the one who said, I publicly died for that. And you know what the Bible says? There's also, this is kind of interesting. Not only is there a defense attorney... There is a prosecuting attorney. It is the enemy, the evil one. (laughs) Remember Revelation 12 where it says that day and night he accuses the brethren before the throne of God. You remember that? The enemy, Satan. Always accused. And you remember what that next verse says? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. When in that courtroom the enemy says he's guilty of sin. Daryl Smith was a liar and a hothead. Jesus publicly said in that courtroom, I died for that. And my blood was shed. And so there is in the scripture a legal view, almost as if from a courtroom of the cross, In Colossians chapter 2. (laughs) This is what Paul writes. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. The cross. 
in verse 13, he says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. The Bible says when I was brought before the judge in the courtroom, because of my sin, the only verdict had to be death. The Bible says actually when I chose to live my own way, it's, it's what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden and it says that something changed inside of them. That day when God said, you can do anything but you can't eat of that fruit, the one day they ate that fruit, they said immediately something changed inside of them. They were spiritually dead. That which was once alive and in right relationship with God was dead. And all of us, the Bible says, Romans three twenty three, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us at some point in our life who are in this room and are of age... When it came to the point where we knew right and wrong and we chose wrong, we died inside. And actually, there was a sentence of death upon us that someday when we physically die, we will be eternally separated from God. And you know, when I read these scriptures, what I realize what Paul is teaching us, it's not just that I was dead, but I was helpless to save myself. Dead people don't resurrect themselves. They're dead. It's not just when I was brought before the, the judge and I was guilty that I was dead and I was guilty. And, but it was I couldn't do anything about it. When you've committed a felony, you can't go to the judge and say, but I've, I've done a lot of good things. The other day I helped a little old lady with her groceries across the street. And the judge isn't going to look at you and go, well, okay. It's all right. Well, you're murdering some people out there, and that's bad. But as long as you're helping the little old ladies, then we're going to call it even. No, the reality is I was dead. I was, I was alienated from God. And I had no ability to settle my accounts. There was only one way to settle the account, and that was for me to die. That was the sentence. And that's what he says here. We need to understand that. That was our condition in the courtroom. And you being dead in your trespasses. And it's kind of interesting, of all the words he could use for sin, and this time he talked about trespasses, which means there was a line <laughs> and I crossed it. God is a holy God. And in the Old Testament, in the law, if you just think about the Ten Commandments, he said there's some lines you can't cross. And when we cross those lines, we trespass. We violate. So of all the words he could use for sin, Paul uses this trespass. No, there was a law, there was a standard that God has because God is a holy God. And when you cross the line, you trespass. I was going to use an illustration from Hayden's life, but we don't have time for all those stories. I've got something at the end of the sermon that I want you to see. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He has made alive together with him. And I kind of almost want to save that at the end because it's kind of the boop. I was dead. God did something through Jesus Christ that made me alive with him. Uh, oh, we'll come back. In that last phrase, verse 13. Having, having forgiven you all trespasses, how did God give me life? He forgave me. 
There's at least two words that I know in the New Testament for forgive. This is the one that means to cancel a debt. In fact, in this case, all trespasses. It was a term that was used to say, somebody canceled my debt. I owed this and somebody paid the bill and took care of it. I know we're waiting for the punchline. <laughs> the cross is the punchline. It's how he made us alive. It's how he took away, he took our sin out of the way. I owed a debt I could not pay. I stood before the judge. I was guilty. The only way I could settle accounts was to die myself. But he canceled that debt, all my trespasses. It says in verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Mm -hmm. The handwriting of requirements that was against us. Uh, I don't know all that Paul means by this. But the handwriting of requirements was the indictment of charges against us. It's the best way I can put it. Does that make sense? No, there was a handwritten document. Almost that I went to court and someone handed me a sheet. Obviously handwritten in those days, not printed. Printing press hadn't been invented yet. A handwritten sheet that said Daryl Smith was a hothead and a liar. And, whoop, 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 and it kind of went downhill from there. The list got kind of long. This is what you're being charged with today. And at least what he starts to say is that through the cross those were wiped away or they were erased. In ancient times, paper was very valuable. We just, when we get through with a piece of paper, we just, we just wad it away and we throw it away. But in ancient times, I'm sorry, Shane, do you know the last song? No, there's, there's another sheet. There's a bunch of sheets up here. In ancient times, paper was very valuable, and so if you got through with a document, you could apply some chemical and you could erase it and you could use it over again. Uh, and so this is what he says. He says, there was, there was a sheet of paper that was against you. It was the indictment of charges that God said, no, you're guilty of all these things. And through the cross, Jesus took that out of the way, having, it says wiped out, it's, it's, it's the sense of erased. He has erased the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. But here, here's the punchline, the end of 14. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You've got to get this picture of what Paul sees. There was an indictment sheet of my sin in my life. I was brought before the holy judge and I had crossed the line. I had trespassed. And this was all the, the requirement, the things that were against me, the sins that I had committed. And he nailed it to the cross. Do you remember from the story of Jesus? It, it wasn't just that Jesus was nailed to the cross. There was something else nailed with him on the cross above his head. Do you remember? 
Gabe, what was it? You got it? Listen to the Holy Spirit next to you. Also called mom. King of the Jews. They wrote above him a little placard. It was the charge. It was the reason why he was being crucified. And it said King of the Jews. It was written in Latin and Greek and Hebrew, which Gabe can quote to you later. But, you know, he doesn't want to show off in front of this big crowd. And remember, there was a little bit of discussion they got there, the religious leaders, and it said, King of the Jews. is like, no, 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 no. The charge was he said he was King of the Jews. Not that he is the King of the Jews. And they're like, and Pilate says, I, I, what I've written, I've written. King of the Jews. Certain little irony there. He died for that reason, and it was nailed above his head. You claim to be the King of the Jews, and you will die. It is your indictment. Do you understand what the Bible said? That when Jesus died that day, he took the indictment of all of your sins. He took that sheet of paper, not having to die for himself, which we're going to talk about next week, and he nailed it to the cross. All the sins of Daryl Smith, Shane Stover. I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't know. Byron Smith. I, I could have included other people. David Shaw, I, I can't even go there. He paid the debt for my sin. The cross is about forgiveness that he took it out of the way. But there's something else here. And I, I, I don't even know that I'm going to be accurately. I'm not even going to be able to communicate this. Verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. He, th- what Paul says is through the cross, Jesus triumphed over the forces of evil in my life. And I thought, what does that mean? And I go back to that Revelation 12 when it says that the enemy lives always to, to accuse the brethren before the throne of God. And so in that courtroom, Satan was going, hothead, liar, sinner, sinner, this and that. That's all the preacher really wants to confess to you right now. In the courtroom telling me my sin. See right there, we got the evidence. It's all written down. And our defense attorney turns to the cross and said, I died for that. I died for that. I died for that. It's taken out of the way. And it disarms the power of the enemy who lives always to accuse us before the throne of God. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb was shed for that. There's really a very practical point here of how we live in our life when the enemy comes and accuses us and because of our shame and our guilt for past sins or present sins or whatever, the enemy seeks to tear us down. Let me tell you. 
You've got to confront the enemy with the truth that Jesus died for that. The blood has been shed. It has been applied. And I think somehow that is what Paul is saying when he says in verse 15, having disarmed the principalities and powers of the forces of darkness. And he made a public spectacle of them. The forces of evil sought to publicly humiliate Jesus by a gruesome death on the cross. But it is that very gruesome death that was made in a public way that Jesus once for all in public for all to see say, I died for that. Not in private, but public. So that everybody knows. It's almost as if they posted it on a public... I think in ancient times they would have taken something... And I read this, that if someone had paid a debt, that they would, they would put a, a public statement on the door of the county courthouse, whatever they had. And it would be a public statement of this. And the Bible says that was the cross. That Jesus made a public demonstration of His love and His forgiveness of what He did for us. And it disarms the principalities and powers... He made a a public spectacle of them. They sought to make a public humiliation of them, but it's the very thing that Jesus now uses as the evidence in the courtroom before God when the enemy accuses us as our defense attorney who says, I died for that. Triumphing over them in it. what George Parr says, once you bring it out into the light, then it loses its power, right George? I don't know how the great theologian said it, but he, yeah. I was close. George has told me this and it kind of registered with me. I thought, no, no, George says if you just get it out, then it will lose its power over you, but long as you keep it in and you let the enemy use it against you, but if you will confess it and get it out, then in the courtroom, it becomes public evidence and knowledge that Jesus died for that. And so in the cross, Jesus died for all. It's about forgiveness. Through the cross, our sins are taken away. But there's really two things that we have to do in that courtroom. For the saving of power, the forgiving power of Jesus Christ to come in our lives. You better listen close. Two things. We have to confess our sin. Yeah, I agree with the indictment. And as long as we hold on to our sin, we try some other way to deal with our sin. It's ours. And the other thing is we must choose Jesus. We must confess. And we must choose that Jesus will be our defense attorney. And we must accept his gift, his payment for our sin. We have to say, guilty as charged, I'm with him. And I'm trusting that Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is sufficient for all of my sin. And I'm telling you today, there has to, that, that is a faith response. That is, that is the belief that we, that is the step that we come and we surrender at the cross. 
and we're honest with God to say, yes, I am a sinner and I have no other way of being saved, but I believe that Jesus Christ by his death on the cross is sufficient for me. Many of us in this room have taken that step of faith in our lives. And it's a step that you can take today. Um, During the month of March, as, as, as Shane has said, our mark of a disciple and in our church we have 12 marks of the disciple that we say these are the these are the indicators that we are followers of Jesus Christ the mark for March uh, January was devoted to prayer February was demonstrates love March is the first one a genuine salvation experience That's the mark that we're going to focus our attention on as we're studying about the cross. And we're going to, in our life group next Sunday, as we start our series on the 12 marks of the disciple, we will be studying that from John chapter 3. The story of Nicodemus and Jesus said to the very religious man that had it all together, was doing everything that his religion told him to do. He says, Nicodemus, You must be born again. There's going to have to be a change of life. Uh, You don't just work yourself into the the kingdom of God. No, it's, it's by Jesus' death on the cross that what he has done that pays for our sin puts us in a right relationship with us. And we must accept that. So the mark of the disciple for March is a genuine salvation experience which is exhibited by... A change of life. No. If you've genuinely been saved, there will be a change of life. And so this morning, uh, we have a testimony that I want you to watch to conclude the sermon this morning. I came from a broken home, so it was hard to get to church every Sunday. My mom was an alcoholic, and she took Valiums. Me and my older sister, we were wild. I got saved at an early age. I asked Jesus in my heart, and from there, it just, I thought that's all you had to do. You know, you could go back to doing whatever you were doing. And of course, I think God had plans for me then. And it, it was in his time, you know, 59 years old almost, and he's got me where I finally turned everything over to him. I was rebellious anyway when I was growing up. I wanted everything done my way, and I deserved it. Everything that went on back then, I started drinking, started doing drugs, smoked, smoked marijuana. We did LSD. It's acid. I went to prison twice. Drinking? I had a big problem with drinking. I thought that if I was to actually die, I know where I was going. And I knew there was something better. I guess, why did you choose uh, drugs? drinking 
and smoking and all those other things. What were you looking for in that? Well, I wanted somebody to love me. You know, I didn't feel love. What's the point? You know, anybody you love, it's going to fall and die or, you know, whatever. So what's the point? And it was pretty hard, but God never left me. He's been with me through all that. All that. I mean, it's like the song we sang, Son, the Amazing Grace. He saved a wrench like me. And I still want to do things my way. And he had to show me what was wrong in my life before I could get to the point that he could actually work with me. Because I kept saying, I'm going to do it my way. I deserve it. And God had to work all that garbage. Sure, he could have... You know, that quick. But have I learned, would I have learned anything? Probably not. But God showed me the narrow path. And that's what, that's what I went down. What he did for me, he loved me. And not only that, walking with me. No man goes to the Father except through me, is what he said. And now I get to go talk to the Father. <laughs> you okay? He's gave me a family. These are my brothers and sisters. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know him. And if he's helping you, and you're, you know, you're down on your own, and you think it's all over with, it's not. God put up with me for 50, almost 59 years. And he said, he wouldn't want to let me go. He won't let you go. Took me time, and I hope, pray, it doesn't take everybody that long, you know. But it takes whatever God needs to take, you know. It's in His perfect timing. I'm grateful for what God's done for me. You need to listen to what God tells you. Listen and follow Him, and He will direct your paths. And he will bring you to the place you need to be. And that's what he did for me. And I thank him every day for it. Oh, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed um, in this time is God's invitation um, 
for us to come to Him. Jesus loved us. Maybe He's waited on you for a long time. But today is the day. And so let me pray, and then I want you to know that I'll be at the front. Byron will be at the front if you need to talk to someone.